lesson is found in Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the wealth that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant region. And there he squandered his wealth in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that region. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have enough bread and more to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a finger, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of God for the people of God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. If you haven't had a chance to meet me yet, I am Amy Wilson-Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morningstar. It is a privilege to be with you in worship on this beautiful Sunday morning, the last Sunday in October. Can you believe it? Let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. 
Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your heart this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One summer day, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I had just had it with my family. I don't remember now the specific interactions of the day that led me to that point, but I do remember throwing all of my clothes and a few other items into my parents' car. We lived in the country, and like most country kids in those days, and probably today too, I had learned to drive on the back roads. So I decided I was going to pack up the car and leave. And I made a really big show of it, too. I was stomping around the house as I gathered my clothes. I was letting the door slam as I went back and forth to the car. I was muttering under my breath about how life was so unfair, and I was wholly underappreciated. And no one witnessed my righteous indignation. No one. Because it was a summer day. My siblings were outside playing. My parents were working on a project at the edge of the property it finally occurred to me that it could be a long time before anyone even knew that I was missing. But I wanted them to know, right? I wanted them to know. I wanted my parents to know how miserable I felt. I wanted them to see my pain and my unrest, and so I went looking for them, keys in hand. And when I found them, I said something like, I'm leaving. You don't want me here anyway. So I packed up the car, and I'm going to live somewhere else. It was such an adolescent move, right? I had zero interest in actually leaving. I just wanted their attention because something was missing in my life, and that's all I could think about, my life, my needs, what I wanted. This is how we often think as human beings, regardless of our age. We have a tendency to put our needs and desires first, and if they're not being met, we'll cut and run if not physically, then emotionally, or will threaten to do so. We don't really think about who we might hurt along the way, especially if we're not living out of a place of our own emotional health or spiritual maturity. This was part of the problem with the younger son in the biblical passage that Mark just read for us today. This story is the third in a series of parables that we have been reading as a part of our current worship series, Seen and Unseen, Adopting the Worldview of Jesus. The series concludes today. We've been focusing on parables because Jesus told so many of them to help his followers see things in a new perspective, to help, him, help them see the world the way that he sees it. And we began two weeks ago with the parable of the wedding banquet and this idea that in the kingdom of God, everyone belongs. And then last week, we took a look at the Good Samaritan for a reminder that building such a culture of belonging depends on our willingness to exercise compassion and to move toward the suffering of others. That brings us to today's text, one of the most well-known parables in our Bible, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, that title should probably come with a spoiler alert because the word prodigal refers to someone who lives selfishly, carelessly, wastefully, in this case, a son. 
The story begins with this son, the younger son's request to his father that he be given his share of the inheritance immediately. It's really important to note not just how disrespectful that request would be, but also how dishonoring. He was basically saying he wished his father were dead. When a son asked for that kind of inheritance, it was a shocking question. But this situation is made even more shocking by the fact that the father complies. Immediately, our sympathies move toward the heartbroken father and especially to the dutiful older son. We lavish praise on the older son for staying with his father, and we admire the father for his generosity and for his patience. We often even call this story the parable of the loving father. But his neighbors would have called this story the parable of the foolish father. They wouldn't have been happy with him or with the older son. In all of the commotion over the scandalous actions of the younger son, we often overlook that the older son also accepted his portion of the inheritance. He could have protested, but he didn't. So the father divided the inheritance between each of his sons, and in doing so, they placed, those three men, they placed their entire household and the entire village at risk. The economic stability of a village like theirs in the time of Jesus would have depended on strong family bonds and on prudent financial management. So an early distribution of the inheritance would have left the homestead without the reserves needed to preserve it, would have left the homestead vulnerable to complete loss of property in case of natural disaster or theft, and that risk placed an additional burden on the entire village to the point that the father would have lost his social and relational capital by giving the inheritance early. He would have become an outcast in his own village while his younger son lived it up in the city. That is, of course, until he ran out of money, and then he started coveting the carob pods that the the pigs were eating. He'd hit rock bottom, and that's when he remembered his father. Specifically, he remembered his father's generosity, and he recognized that that's what was missing in his life. So he hatched a plan. Not just a plan of return, but a plan of reconciliation. To be reconciled is to restore a relationship that has been broken. We've been talking about this over the past couple of weeks. It comes up quite a bit in our holy text because reconciliation is the heart of the gospel. And it's not easy. It requires a cooperation of at least two people in the admission of wrongdoing and in a willingness to forgive and start anew. The son was ready for his part. He thought about it. He thought about what he needed to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. In three simple direct statements, the son acknowledges the magnitude of the pain that he has caused, recognizes the natural consequences of the broken relationship, and asks to be welcomed back into the family knowing it's going to take time him to build trust again, not just with the household, but with the villagers. 
you must have been so nervous. That kind of exchange would have required a level of maturity that was leap years from what he exhibited when he asked for the money early. It required repentance. To repent is the change to change the way that we think. It literally means to turn around, to, to move in the opposite direction, which is exactly what the son was doing when he turned toward home. He was ready to show repentance and hope that his father would be open to that reconciliation. And we know, of course, that he was. The father was actually on the lookout for the son, hoping that the young man would return. And when the son appeared on the horizon, the father ran to him. When we envision this happy reunion, we often overlook the fact that the father had to run to his son in that moment to protect him from the villagers who were still angry. He was at risk of being beaten or worse. He put them all at risk by starv of starving. He put them all at risk, the whole village at risk of starving. And his return would not necessarily have been good news. So the father runs as a sign of protection, willing to be dishonored even more, because to run to his son, he would have to hike up his robe and expose his legs, which was disgraceful, an undignified action for the man of the house. But the father explains his risky behavior to the older son later when he says, your brother was dead, but he's now alive. He was lost, but he's now found. Jesus talks about the urgency of looking for what is lost in three parables. This is one of the three. The other are connected. They're about a sheep and a coin. And as we read these three stories together, we often focus on the faithfulness of the one who is searching, and we focus on the value of the item or the person that is lost. And they're great stories because we can identify with what it means to lose. I actually want to take a minute to think about a time, just envision within yourself, think about a time when you have lost something. Maybe it was your keys like I did this morning. Maybe it was your money. Maybe a family heirloom or an important document. Think about a time, and kids, you can do this too. Think about a time when you have lost something. How did you feel? Helpless. What did you do? Run around like crazy. Yeah, what would you have given to get that thing back? anything. You felt helpless. You ran around like crazy. You would have given anything to give it back. Does that sound familiar? Beloved, this is how God feels about us when we are lost. And I'm not just talking about eternity here. I'm talking about when we have lost our way in this life, on this journey, when we have decided to live out of our brokenness rather than out of our healing. And God is always on the lookout for us. In fact, God is always actually with us, ready to remind us of that fact every time we turn around, every time we repent, 
and say, I messed up, I need you, and I want to live the way that you want me to live. Just as the prodigal son did for his generous father, and just as the loving father did for his lost son, abandoning all cultural pretenses to run to him and protect him from harm. And not just that, but in doing so, the father restored the relationship in three really important ways. The kiss. The kiss was a sign of salvation. It was a sign of healing. It was another sign of protection. Don't hurt him. He's my son. The robe, the ring, the sandals, those are things that a family member would wear. So they were a sign of identity. And the feast, the fatted calf, was a sign of community, of, of being a part of the community. It was a peace offering for the villagers, such that the father knew if the villagers came, his family would be forgiven. Salvation, identity, belonging, these are the things that the younger son had been missing. They're the things that I was missing, too as I ambushed my parents with my angst in a packed car that didn't even belong to me that I was expecting to drive without a license. I remember that day so clearly. I looked at the faces of my parents expecting to see anger, expecting to receive punishment, but I saw nothing but curiosity and compassion and perhaps a little bit of amusement. Where are you going to go? My dad asked. Of course, I didn't have an answer to that question because I assumed they were going to stop me long before that point. And that's when I started crying because I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to feel like I belonged. I just felt so lost. And then my parents hugged me and acknowledged my pain and told me how much they loved me. Salvation. Identity. Belonging. As with the prodigal son, they were mine all along. And they are yours as well. The truth is we all feel like we're losing from time to time. That feeling of loss moves us to desperation. It stunts our growth. It sends us on wild goose chases. It influences our behavior in destructive ways. It's okay. We're only human. This is how we learn sometimes and this is what we can learn. This is the perspective shift that we can gain from the parable of the prodigal son. This story is not merely about who was missing from the family. We often read it that way. It's not just about who was missing from the family. It's about what the son was missing all along and how he found it through reconciliation and repentance. So it's worth our time to ask, what are we missing in our lives, in our faith, in our relationships, what are we missing? And how desperately do we want it back? If we're brave enough to ask the question, we just might discover that it's in the relationships that are strong enough to be repaired that we will find that what we thought we were missing was waiting for us all along. Amen? Amen. Going to move into a time of prayer.
which means, kids, in your worship bags, you will find your wooden cross. Augie, do you have your cross? So you can hold the cross in your hand. And as we do that, remember that we're connected when we pray. We're connected with God, and we're connected with each other. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for walking with us and being with us, even when we feel that you're far away. Sometimes we do feel lost. We know that you are ready. You are ready to show us the way when we are ready to open our eyes and follow you. Thank you for that sense of belonging. Thank you for the identity that we have as your children. Thank you for the salvation and the healing and the wholeness that you give us. May we accept these gifts and share them with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.